Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson here with me as always. Even though he's sick, it doesn't matter. Nothing can stop him. It's Brian Gottlieb. Realistically, we tried to get a different co-host, but Cedric big time to me effectively. So you're you're going to have to do this one sick, buddy. I'm sorry. Wow, you couldn't even let me take the credit as an unstoppable force who wouldn't be denied and kept from this podcast no matter what. You had to out me like that. Yeah, things things are tough over here right now, Gerald. This is going to be a struggle, but too much to talk about for us not to do an episode. That's never an option here on the Arena Deckless podcast. No, it's not. And I mean, you were going to be here no matter what. Cedric was going to be here uh, saying most of the words, and then you were just going to say yay or nay to whatever we said, basically. But now Cedric's got some some better stuff to do, I guess, at 9.30 p.m. on a Wednesday. He's a busy uh, guy. So. I'm pretty sure he was just doing like the E-League finals or some nonsense like that. He was doing that. That's why we got pushed back so far is because we had to wait for him to finish E-League. And then he was like, right. ah, JK. So big old jerk. Daggers. But that's all right. That's all right. I'm going to try and keep your words to a minimum, not ask you ridiculous open-ended questions. And maybe this will be a short cast. Who knows? Yeah, you know, it's funny. That's a good idea. But I think about how generally I interact with this podcast and my vociferous nature. And I highly doubt we're going to be able to restrict my words effectively. But thank you for trying. I do my best, man. Uh, I, I have I have so many words, you know. So That's good. That's good. I can I could just keep talking. But yeah, we got some pioneer bands to talk about. We have GP Portland this weekend, which... Uh, again, would have been kind of cool to have Cedric on the cast because all three of us are going and we're all playing and I believe we're all planning on playing different decks. So that would have been kind of interesting, but we're down one Jeskai Fires player. No big deal. That's okay. That deck doesn't have a chance anyway. Agreed. So Pioneer, Oko's bans, Nexus's bans. So now there are some Delve cards, some Lotus Fields. What else is scary even at this point? I was already coming to the opinion that blue-white control was among the top decks in the format. Now, granted, that is somewhat on the back of Dig Through Time, although not everyone is as high on that card in the archetype as I am. I see some lists playing none, in fact. So maybe that is one of the Delve decks, maybe it isn't, but that is my present pick for top deck. But there's a lot to unpack from... Oko being banned because there's never been a card in the history of magic that invalidates so many text boxes, right? So when you right. open up all these text boxes, you really have to think carefully about the ripple effects of that. Yeah, the uh, Soul Flare floodgates are really going to open now. Oh, your worst nightmare. It is my worst nightmare. But uh, do you know what my article topic is this week? No, please tell me. It is about how Azorius Control is the best I can pioneer. Wow, look at that point of agreement for us. So tell me a little bit about how you've reached this conclusion because you are a known Azorius control hater, always trying to hold the deck down despite, despite its many, many talents. Uh, why now? Let's be fair. It does a pretty good job of holding itself down. Usually, especially in modern. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Pioneer right, right now. So like you mentioned... Uh, Zorius Control was doing pretty well, despite the fact that there were still Okos and Dig Through Times. And now without Oko, it's it's just so much easier for that deck to stabilize behind a Supreme Verdict. And you're not facing down like Elf into unbeatable three drop that you basically can't answer effectively. So I think things just overall got a lot better for it. And the decks, well, most of the decks that get freed up are things that are very poor against Supreme Verdict in general. And people have found uh, a shell of a list that is actually quite solid. Like they found a good mix of removal and counter spells and card drawing and everything. And I think one of the things that helped this deck along is the fact that people did cut Sphinx's revelation and moved more towards dig through time. Yeah, I agree with you. Another card I really like that other people aren't super high on is hieroglyphic illumination. Quite frankly, I like that card in Modern quite a bit, so it makes sense that I believe it is Pioneer-worthy, but it really plays well with Dig Through Time as well. The more cycling, the more cantrips you have in your deck, we talked a little bit, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, about earlier builds of Blue-White Control, and I talked about how important that aspect was to fueling your Dig Through Times, 
Well, now you're seeing decks not only can add those cantrips, but they also have four ops, which is where my deck has gotten to as well. So I, I like all this stuff that's happening to just make your good cards good. And then when you think about the cards that we were worried about in Magic prior to Throne of Eldraine, again, it seems like a simpler time after the massacre that Throne of Eldraine has inflicted on the format. But it was the War of the Spark Planeswalkers. It was three mana Teferi. It was Narset. And before that, it was Teferi, Hero of Dominaria. These are all really, really good cards. And now with some of these other power points taken away, they're getting their chance to shine again. Yeah, definitely agree with basically all that. In my mind, there are two versions of the deck. One has all the the cyclers and maybe more digs. And the other one, I think, is the more popular one, which is just like syncopates and no cycling cards. And that one, to me, just feels like a little bit more clunky. And I think you can go pretty far down the other end of the spectrum, play all the cyclers, have this really lean blue-white control deck. And that's what I'm interested in playing. I'm very curious to see your list. It's exciting to have you on board with the control mages. Man, I have a, a bunch of slow decks queued up for this oh, GP Portland. I have this deck all sleeved up, ready to go. Uh, we'll talk about standard in a minute, but going to be playing some long, long rounds this weekend. Dude, you, you better get well quick because you're not going to be able to make it through. I know. No downtime, just constant matches, always being taxed to the fullest. That's exactly what you want when you're really sick. Exactly what you want to sign up for. Yeah, dude, don't do that. I I would say play the limited PTQ on Friday and then see how you feel Saturday. If you feel like garbage still, just take a day to sleep and then, you know, play your hour-long matches on Sunday. Sure, that's not a bad idea. And I I will play it by ear. Obviously, these close GPs don't come up all that often. And honestly, my participation in premier-level events is also pretty rare at this point just because geographically there aren't a bunch nearby and a lot of my weekends are eaten up by SCG. And also there hasn't been a reason to play GPs for quite some time now. So I get excited when they come around. But yeah, if I'm feeling awful, I'm not going to force it for sure. I told Cedric that if the main event were fewer than 500 people, I would probably play in it. That's the threshold you need to cross? Yeah. I I don't think it's going to get there. I think there's going to be more than 500 people. Well, I do too, which is... <laughs> That's why you said it there, yeah. Yeah, which is why it's great because uh, then I have a reason to opt out and just play in these PTQs instead. But yeah, like playing playing giant GPs for like no reward is not really what I want to be doing. I've had, like I, I went to the last two Command Fests and was just like hanging out with people and jamming random games here and there. And like, that's so much more fun for me than playing in a tournament that I ultimately don't really care about, you know? Yeah, I have uh, a... I don't know if it's twice. There's There's been a couple of occasions, I think, now where I've gone to GPs and only played the PTQ side of things and didn't participate in the main event. And I think that's a totally fine way to engage with GPs now. And I've talked a bunch about the decreasing numbers at GPs, the, the lowering attendance. There is a point to be made that I think probably side event attendance is doing just fine and it's maybe up. It is. From last year. It is. But so, I mean, that, that's that's something, but it, there's still a problem being pointed to, but I don't want to sweep that under the rug. There is a style of magic that is doing very, very well at these events. Correct. But even when there's like a, a 200 player main event at GPOKC, like that, that does not bode well for competitive no, it's magic, bad. right? So it's, it's scary. They're, they're once in a lifetime numbers. I, I don't recall right. anything like this going on. Yeah. Uh, so those are the GPs I'm down to play in. Like, if if Portland looks like that, I'm in there. You know, it's almost at the point where GPs are good EV again. Like, when was the last time you could say that? That right. maybe never. Maybe that's never been true. Yeah, six zero lock up cash. Let's do it. Yeah, not bad. Anyway, rewind a little bit. Uh, what are the other good decks in Pioneer, in your opinion? So I have to assume that the green ramp decks are still fine like the Hour of Promise into Shrine, into Big Eldrazi, into Ugin, that setup is completely defensible. I think it probably struggles a little bit against Blue-White, which isn't good because you'd expect that kind of strategy to outscale, but Blue-White is usually getting just enough aggression out of the sideboard. I have Monastery Mentors, and in theory, I have some problems with that card. I I know, I knew you you were going to go there. In theory, I have some problems with that card, but you need some kind of effective clock in that spot. And if you've got a better one for me, I will listen. You may present it now. Spell Queller or Brazen Borrower? Ah, Spell Queller, I don't think does it. Uh, Brazen Borrower, maybe. That's closer. I I will admit I should probably try that card. 
alternatively, instead of your Dovin's Vetoes, Mystical Disputes and stuff, you can play some amount of Tail's End in the sideboard. Okay, that's a nice one. Could Shouldn't you just be playing Disallow, though? Doesn't that make more sense and is more versatile? I mean, so you could you could make a case for disallow over absorb, certainly, but I don't want to necessarily side in like three mana counterspell against them or three mana stifle. Okay. And yeah. I would I would want some of the cheap interaction element for mirror matches so you can actually counter the three mana planeswalkers, which Tails right. End allows yeah, you. Yeah, countering Teferi is a big deal. Okay. Yeah, Tails End's an interesting card. I've been pleased with that card in a few spots, actually, going back to applications in old standards. So I, I buy that. Yeah, so it's it's basically a negate against most of the things that you wanted against, and then you get to counter the trigger from Emrakul or Ulamog, and then that could allow you to play like a full control game instead of trying to clock them. But sure, I don't know. Mentor strikes me as pretty mopey, especially when you're playing the cycling version because you're gonna like play that thing and then cycle illumination and sensor and stuff, and then just not accomplish anything. So it just seems pretty awkward to me. Bit of a squeeze there. Uh, I will say I'm splitting kind of the two versions right now. I have some elements of the cycling version, some elements of the other version. It's partially in consideration of Monastery Mentor, partially in consideration of just like, I think Syncopate might be better than Sensor. And if you are building with four ops, you aren't necessarily priced in to just maxing Sensor anymore, whereas previously you had to. But I take your point. I do think there are some issues with Monastery Mentor. It requires some concessions. And I will continually be on the lookout for something better. I am not 100% sold on your Tales End idea, but Brazen Borrower might just be an upgrade. Yep. The other two decks I had pegged as tier one are Mono Black Aggro and Mono Green Devotion. Mono Green Ramp or Green Whatever Ramp to me fits in the tier two category. Okay. Do you think that either of those decks stands up well to blue white? Like it just seems like they're being pretty effectively farmed by a well-built blue-white deck. Yeah, I mean, obviously there are things that you can do, but it's it's certainly not great. I mean, Mono Black having a bunch of uh, discard murderous riders and castles is certainly good for them. But yeah, you just get to points in the game where the blue-white deck is playing two spells a turn and you can't really keep up. So you just right. have to make it so the game doesn't get to that point. One of the things I saw today was uh, someone playing Glintsleaf Siphoner and some Aether Hubs in their mono black deck, which would also help the matchup. I like that. And then obviously you play Aether Sphere Harvester on top of it too, so you have like this mini energy package. So I kind of like that because that's sort of what you were looking for. You know, like mono black needed a planeswalker or a copter or a good vehicle and didn't really have that. You basically just need something that's sits in play when they play Supreme Verdict and is still able to pressure them. But Siphoner by itself just means that you're going to have a bunch of cards and it forces a Wrath right away and everything. So I like that aspect too. Is there a place for green mid-range in this format? Obviously the incentive to go to Soul Ties, uh, I'm not going to say entirely gone, but having lost Oko, there's a lot fewer reasons to stretch in that direction. Can you do like green, black delirium things? Is that, is that at all reasonable? No, you can't. I mean, Emrakul is one of the scariest cards for Azorius, right? Sure. So I'm definitely interested in that. I'm just a little concerned that something like Golgari, even with a splash is probably not going to really stand up against aggro when you don't have goose into Oko. So it's, it's kind of tough. I'm, I keep brewing like these various mid-range decks and I don't know. I just end up like cutting thoughtsies from a lot of them because you basically can't really afford to draw too many against aggro. And it, it just means that you're spread super thin. And then you have to think about things like the Lotus field deck and the mono green ramp deck. And it's just like, okay, I can't beat all of these things at once, you know? So I think you can make it do pretty well against, uh, aggro, be very good against control, and then be very, very bad against the rampy, like, big spell decks. Okay, that all makes sense to me. What do you think about where the format is at now in general? Are you still into this new format? I mean, it seems like it's only improved over time, and it's it's easy to be critical about the bands in Pioneer and what they've done to, like, discourse and how we've had to approach 
this new format and how hard it is to actually buy into the format when the only thing that happens is the best deck gets banned over and over. But like all of that's gone, it's good, though. right? Like you knew what you were getting into. They were they were upfront about it, right? And it seems like we've cleared the hurdle now. It seems like we've gotten to the point where there should start to be some stability. Yeah. So I, if you bought in like a a bunch of pioneer stuff and then you're surprised when things got banned, it's like. I mean, you shouldn't be. I mean, what Sam said was that, like, if your deck is not trying to get something banned, you're doing it wrong, you know? So I guess, like, you were kind of doing it right, but you got to realize that that was very much a thing that was likely to happen, you know? And if you didn't have any specific tournaments to play in or whatever, like, I, I think it's just completely reasonable for a lot of people to sit it out for a month, which I think a lot of people did and kind of wrote about this a little bit in my article this week where it's like now I think is the point which you can start investing in pioneer and be relatively safe about it or feel safe about it. Oh, careful. Care uh, careful. I don't know. I don't know if you want that on your conscience because people will come to you when the next round of bannings happens and they'll say, Jerry, you said it was safe to buy in now. We're all thinking it, but like I think it th- is there's safe. probably one more set. No, I think there's one more set. I think there's one more set. Because here's the thing, it's like, if you have this window open, and thus far, bands have mostly not been targeted to get to a theoretical place, they've just been hitting the best deck, right? So if like blue-white is the best deck, and we're still not entirely out of this band period, we're getting close, but I'm assuming there's like one more cycle, then if blue-white wins a bunch in this next period, something gets banned, right? That's just how this works. Yeah, so then what do they ban? They ban one of the three mana planeswalkers, five mana Teferi, or Dig. And those all weaken blue-white, but it doesn't kill the deck. And it's not like right. any of the other decks in the format necessarily revolve around those cards with the exception of Dig Through Time, right? So, like, there's definitely the Delve cards. There's maybe Emrakul. I'm, like, looking at this list, trying to figure out, like, what are the other, like, scary cards I think it is just like Delve and Ebrical. It's mostly where I'm at. Definitely Delves are the scariest cards. They're the ones you might lose your house on right now, but not super expensive. They're not Mythics. So so the Lotus Field deck cares about Dig Through Time, but mm-hmm. a lot of these other decks that play Dig currently could easily have that replaced with something else. So that's what I'm saying by it's relatively safe, where yes, cards might get banned, but... Even if they do, your deck is still probably good. Yeah. And to be fair, like that worked out with mono black aggro as well. Like, even if you lost your namesake cards, you lost your smugglers' copters, you were fine. You ended up with a fine deck uh, in the aftermath of that banning. So, right. and mono green devotion too has also held pretty well. Yeah. I mean, mono green devotion has lost like hundreds of dollars of cards, but the deck itself is still, still have a deck. deck. Yeah. And, right. And your Vivian's likely went up a lot. Mm, That's true. So, you know, things like that happen too, where it's like if blue white control is the best deck, obviously a lot of the prices of cards in that deck are going to go up and then something gets banned. And it just means that something else has to absorb the the cost of those cards. So like say dig through time gets banned, like digs, not even that expensive. So maybe a bad example, maybe like time Raveler gets banned or whatever. It just means like hero of Dominaria goes up in price or something. Yeah. So whatever, I, I think it's, I think it's okay. If you want to start small, obviously you can invest in like a, a tier two deck and it might seem silly to, you know, invest in a deck that doesn't have any cards that are likely going to get banned, you know, because it means that your deck is probably under power level a little bit, but I think the power level of a lot of these decks is relatively flat. Like we're getting to that point where, mm. you know, Phoenix, Dredge, Hardened Scales, Red green aggro, mono red aggro, spirits, like a lot of these decks are very, very similar in power level. I agree with you. We are on the cusp of another set though. And uh yeah. we were told that Throne of Eldraine is the new standard for power level, so who knows how that is going uh, to go. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I was I just it's been a while since we've had a new set, right? So I was just kind of like operating under the assumption, like, oh, we don't get we don't get sets anymore. But that's the thing is it hasn't, I was thinking about this the other day. Like if you think about the release of Throne of Eldraine, 
those were the tournaments. Like that's when I won back to back tournaments. Was the re- release of Throne of Eldraine. That feels like a million goddamn years ago. I I swear. Yeah. Like how many things have happened in the state of Magic since that point? Like there's been multiple multiple rounds of bannings. There's been a whole new format introduced. Like the release of Throne of Eldraine feels like eons ago. And we're just now creeping up to new set preview season. So it really wasn't that long in the past. Yeah, it was a long time ago, though. It feels like a lot of stuff has happened, but whatever. I mean, what was the date? It has to be like September, right? I don't know, man. I don't even know what month it is. (laughs) That's fine. I'm not going to quiz you on your calendar knowledge. Yeah, I, I can barely show up to the podcast on time, so. Small victories. Well, you made it this week. I'm very proud of you. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I I like Pioneer. I've been having fun. To me, it looks kind of like, I don't know, a format with a bunch of banned cards. You know, it's like the the decks aren't nearly as exciting as they were, but that's kind of the cost of doing business. Yeah. So now I'm cool with it. Now it's a bunch of creature decks and it's like, it's fine. I mean, I made a tier list, like a rough tier list, just to kind of wrap my head around things. And it's like 30 decks that I think are viable. So you know, that's got to be good. Yeah, those are good numbers. You got any cat oven decks you like yet? Hella. In that format? Hella. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like that one's coming, right? Like, you think you're going to escape that when standard changes, but I, I think that one might be around for a while. I bought some foil, which is oven and cauldrons familiars. Nice. Yeah, I was, I was ready to go on that one. I think it's going to stick in the eternal formats. Yeah, dude, anything that allows you to take a bunch of game actions and accomplish very little, you're down with, so... APT actions per turn it is the new hallmark <laughs> of successful decks in magic check out those areas of decks look how they play the game all the best decks look to operate in that same fashion uh, I mean there is some truth to that actually but yeah yeah I, I am I am thinking of a way to like make something useful of this theory I am very 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 invested in its existence I'm very convinced of it I don't really know what to do with it because it's not as simple as just like always build your deck to do the most things. That's not a useful shortcut, but there's, there's something there and there's some lesson to be learned about. I mean, especially in modern, it shows so, so much. It's why I hate decks like devoted devastation because their actions per turn are so, so low. And I think that's just untenable in that format. I mean, it's basically the reason why I hate all the like tap out control decks. Cause you're always just like play a mm-hmm. three mana sorcery, play a four mana sorcery. And it's like, I want the flexibility and agency of getting to two spell territory as soon as possible and like being lean and getting to use all my mana every turn, not being like stuck on three mana right. with five, four drops in my hand or whatever. It just obviously once the planeswalker decks get going, they're taking a bunch of actions, right? And and that's how they get ahead and how they bury you and everything. But just getting to that point takes too long and it's too difficult. Yeah, you, you think about something like Urza. And all the micro actions it has on a given turn, it's like, okay, here's my bauble, crack it, get the small piece of information that I can leverage throughout the game. And I get to plan all my timings efficiently and just get all these small advantages that accrue over every single one of those interactions. And then all of a sudden the game reaches a point where it's completely closed out for your opponent. There's nothing like you've taken all these really small, almost meaningless actions and they've compounded to really what amounts to one card, Urza. And then everything is completely invalidated about your opponent's deck. Fractional invites, baby. Fra- yeah, fraction- that's what it feels fractional like. Fractional invites the archetype. No, Mardu, sure. Mardu Pyromancer was like that a lot. And Agreed. Death Shadow is definitely like that too, especially when you're talking Agreed. about the Street Wraith, Bobble, Fetchland interactions and Traverse and stuff like that. Like you end, you end up taking a bunch of actions and at the end of it, you're like Tarmogoyf, right? But like it still does amount to a lot. Right. But the funny thing about modern, though, is even decks that you don't expect to operate in that fashion, like the good versions actually do eventually. Like think about something like humans. You would see humans as just, oh, I play my one thing every turn and that's it. But when humans is actually doing its best things, it's maximizing a bunch of triggers all over the place. It's using its mana to draw cards. It's got ether vial triggers. So it does a good job of actually upping its actions per turn. And the same thing with what is essentially a ramp deck in amulet titan like granted most of your game plan is just leading towards one thing but then when you do that thing you're 
actions per turn go absolutely through the roof right. to like almost unlimited status. And I think that's what like actually makes these decks fundamentally better than like counterparts such as Scapeshift, say. That's why Amulet Titan shines over something like that because you just get more actions per turn and they they accumulate to meaningful advantages. Yeah, I mean, Tron sort of does that. It's like you, you a little bit. You really feel it on like turn five, turn six when they start digging for stuff. But in the early turns, it's just like, all right, tap out for Karn, tap out for Worm Coil, whatever. And that's that's really when they're trying to turn the corner effectively, and when things are the most dangerous for them, right? Because if you interact with like their one thing, then they just end up falling so far behind. But yeah, it's certainly in the late game, it's like they have a low land count, all their cards can trip, find other threats, do more things. So yep. yeah, the, the food stuff, like you do end up doing a bunch of stuff, but it is very minuscule and it doesn't scale super hard. So like these sorts of setups are very Sam Black-like to me, where I think of the white black tokens deck, like Hidden Stockpile, Anointed Procession, like once that deck got going... You just bury them, right? You're right. gaining a bunch of life and you're scrying through basically your entire deck and making a million tokens and whatever. And like the food deck is kind of just like, well, eventually I need to get you to zero, right? And you have Trail of Crumbs, which allows you to go a little bit bigger, but you can't really have that translate into anything. And maybe that's the key is like figuring out a way to actually lock it up when the game gets to that point. Well, I think I think that's what Mayhem Devil does. And I think that's why the green black versions were ultimately invalidated, is that Mayhem Devil does create those combo turns. And I guess to some extent, so does Corvald, where it can just end the game in a single swing and, and get really big out of nowhere. Yeah, that's fair. It, it's somewhat different than the the Anointed Procession decks, just because they did like absurd, absurd things. And I guess the Jun deck is doing absurd things, but still in the context of what is a realistic game of magic, like kill your two creatures, draw three cards doesn't feel as absurd as I gained 400 life and put, you know, 50 tokens on the battlefield. But in terms of its impact on the game, it's functionally very similar. Well, the the former is just much more satisfying to me, too. Sure. So I don't know. I'm down with that. Yeah. So Mayhem Devil, you definitely have a point. I guess a lot of the shells that i had been building around in pioneer did not include mayhem devil but if you look at the magic online results like those are very much the versions that are doing well yeah they just look like standard decks well this is one of the most powerful standards we have seen in quite some time so that might not be a bad approach right now to pioneer yeah the the thing that got me and again this is maybe the way i was building my decks was that at some point my opponent would go over the top of me somehow so yeah maybe i just did need to have mayhem devil to be able to play back at them and actually end the game maybe i was like well no because if we have emery and smuggler's copter we keep accruing like these fractional invites right but that stuff didn't really amount to anything in the context of pioneer when people were you know making 10 zombies on turn six and ulamogging you and whatnot so all right yeah, I mean, I think it also just doesn't translate to standard either. It's the same exact problem, and that's why the green black decks went away. Is because eventually Nissa into Hydroid Crisis will outscale that. But if you close the game with Corvald or Mayhem Devil, they're not going to get the opportunity. So it's a good lesson to translate over to Pioneer for sure. I really just hate ending the game with these sorts of decks, you know. But it is it is very important to note when it is necessary. Who are you talking to right now? Trust me. I understand your plight. There's nothing I hate more than actually winning the game of magic. I want to just do my thing in perpetuity. But someone very wise once told me that you need to close out games when it's time to close out games. And I think that's pretty good advice. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So Jund food, not Golgari food. That much is clear. What what have you been liking? I know that we both posted our list on Patreon, but I actually did not get a chance to look at yours yet. So I'm going to try and do that now. Okay. It's not exciting. It, it is still Jund food. I believe that this shell, this engine is the most powerful thing you can do in standard. And I believe you can also customize your deck to account for absolutely anything. And if you have the right 75 of Jun food, I think you are in a very good position for any given tournament. You don't necessarily have to do crazy things. You don't have to do super flashy things. You just have to make smart decisions about where the metagame is at. 
you know, play the right number of Massacre Girls, play the right number of Thrashing Brontodons, play the right number of main deck dresses, maybe, which is where I'm going to shoot my shot this week. I think that card is very strong right now, uh, even against matchups where you wouldn't expect it to be particularly good. Something like, say, Gruel or Rakdos Knights, if you just control their Ember Cleave, you're generally fine against them. And that's not to say I want duress against them, but for the value I get against something like Simic Flash by having duress in my deck in game ones, I'm pretty happy to keep two copies of that card in the main deck and get some strategic flexibility that way. So I remain high in this archetype. I thought it was the best deck at the beginning of the post-band format. I still feel that way right now, uh, and nothing has really changed. I think your experiment was interesting. I did do my due diligence. I put the reps in. I'll let you talk about your version of Jund right now. Ultimately, I wasn't completely sold. You can tell me why I'm wrong, though. Uh, I mean, I'm not 100% on it. So the the experiment that Brian is talking about is playing Fires of Invention in Jund Food, which allows you to basically get a mana boost in the mid-game by playing two spells a turn on turns where you would otherwise be fairly choked on mana. So like turns five, turn six. And it also allows you to have a bunch of mana free to activate trail of crumbs. So also when you're choked on mana, uh, that card ends up not being great. So yeah, you get to play fires on turn four along with another spell, which means that it's not really costing you a whole lot far as mana investment. Next turn, you get to play some spells while also activating trail and then trail feeds fires on later turns. And one of the things that you talked about was how you kept fires in your hand sometimes because it was actually stymieing your development, which I mean, means that you're probably just winning anyway, right? Like fires, Correct. fires is a card that is going to allow you to catch up uh, or at least just like bury mirror matches and control opponents and stuff like that. And granted, it is a card that I side out against uh, specifically Flash and maybe Blue Eye Control too, but whatever. It's not really a deck. So yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not convinced that it's like, oh, this this is busted and it takes the deck to the next level or whatever. But I do think that it is quite good and I think it is worth playing. I'm down to three copies because... There were some, like my original list did not have any murderous riders, for example, because I thought like, oh, I can just power through everyone, right? And it's like, that didn't really come to fruition. Like you right. do need some amount of interaction. So I now have a bunch of murderous riders, which I think helps Flash and it kills Mayhem Devil in the mirror, which was mostly how I was losing mirror matches and stuff. So, right. but yeah, there, there are just too many spots where you have casualties of war and they're playing around it or you would need to do like casualties and something else. So fires really helps make that card very, very good, which I, I think a lot of people are going to disagree that, you know, that card doesn't need help or whatever, but I think it does. So I, I also think casualties of war can be a very flawed card the same way you are often boarding out your fires. I am often boarding out my casualties of war. I think it, right. I think it solidifies you in some matchups that would otherwise just be absolutely unbearable something like fires comes to mind where in game one, if I don't have that card, I really don't think I have a viable path to victory. Yeah. And you kind of need to get a little bit lucky. And like you said, I am concerned about fires impact on the flash matchup, which I expect to be the most played deck in the GP. So I'm not sure I want to weaken myself in those game ones. I'd rather strengthen myself, which is why I took the approach I did. I, I saw both sides of it. I played games where fires was like unquestionably unquestionably powerful and just powering through turns four turns five and letting you do absolutely disgusting things there's no question that will happen i also had games where i drew multiple fires and it's just like well if this was a card that did anything given the engine based nature of my deck i can probably turn it into another resource in a in a different direction and it being just like a redundant copy of fires or not having a card that i actually wanted to play off fires meant i lost the game on the spot there was also spots too, like you mentioned, where I'd get into the late game and being restricted to two spells per turn was actually a huge mana cost to me. I wanted to have unfettered access to as many spells as I wanted. I'm going off with Korvald or you know, getting up to some kind of shenanigans and I have already established my mana engine and not really looking to do things at that point. So you're right, at that point, I'm probably winning. It's not a huge deal to keep fires in my hand, but where you have a really small window for the card to really shine 
I'm concerned if it's actually what you want to be doing. Did you consider Bantu in combination with fires? Like obviously you have Core Vault as a way to mitigate your own fires, but I wonder if you're just supposed to go like more all in once you're on the fires plan. No, I did. That's that's where I started and I just slowly moved towards more and more interaction. Okay. Like I initially I, I had zero casualties and zero murderous riders and was just like uh, you know, fires combo deck. Yeah, fires with two core volts and two bontus and was just like, oh, why do I need to kill their stuff? I'll just kill them. But then it was like, well, I kind of want, you know, 26 land. I want more beanstalk giants. Right. I want these murderous riders so I can interact and casualties uh, against fires definitely matters in game one and certainly helps in the mirror match and stuff like that. So I don't know. I liked your list a lot in theory. Uh, I, I think it's doing something interesting and finding a new PowerPoint. I, I am not sure it's the right time for it, though, uh, or it lines up with what I expect to be happening at this tournament. So I ultimately went in my own direction, just sticking with what I've been playing this entire time, something very close to a stock list uh, with a few modifications, a few sideboard cards I really liked, and going to just go ahead and ride that and see if I can continue to benefit from playing what I think is the best deck in the format. I think if you're at a point where you're like, all right, Casualties of War is good enough to main deck, and especially in your deck when you have four copies, I think Fires is worth consideration for whatever that's worth. I'm not trying to convince you or whatever, but sure. I, I do think that if you're willing to play Fires or if you're willing to play Casualties, you should be willing to consider Fires just because of how much better it makes that card and also how good Fires is in matchups where Casualties is good. Yeah, I see. I, I'm already in a tenuous relationship with casualties of war. So it's, it's weird to like further push my deck in a direction to maximize it because I'm so apt to move away from that plan in post board games, especially. And like, I'm not banking on it in a lot of situations. There's, like I said, there's some matchups where I think just without it, you're pretty much buried. And then there's the random, Oh, I topped deck this against the mirror and got a five for one, which sometimes isn't even enough, but occasionally can bail you out of a tough spot. So I, I don't know if I want to push my deck towards maximizing casualties more if I, or if I even should be getting away from it. Like it's certainly a question that crossed my mind over this past week. Wish I wish I had more time to invest into it. That's not really how I want to present it. I want to present it as if you are willing to play casualties main deck, then fires not only makes casualties good, but fires is also good against the decks. The casualties is good against, and it just makes that package way more robust. So you're talking about like, oh, I don't even think casualties is right. Well, the problems that casualties has are mitigated a lot by the existence of fires. Okay. And fires itself is still a fine card. What do you think about moving away? Like, I know your list only has two copies of casualties. We talked a bunch going back a couple weeks now about how casualties is a card that really suffers when not played in large numbers. Now that was in a completely different context. I'm willing to reconsider if that is even still true, but I am curious how you arrived at the number two casualties of war. Are you kind of backing away from that stance or is it just the context has changed and that's what has changed the number of casualties of war? So I I think the deck I have built on arena right now is different than the list I submitted because Cho and I were out running errands. And while he was, you know, buying dress shoes and belts and stuff i was writing my sideboarding guide and i ended up changing some of the numbers and i think that we're kind of in a place where the first casualties is very good and the second one is either very bad or definitely locks it up and the third one is atrocious the third one is always atrocious but right so that that the third one means that like you have blown up all of their stuff. They have very few resources. The problem is if they had like multiple creatures, for example, you having to cast the third casualties to deal with like a single creature when they're still beating you down with like various other things means that you're probably pretty far behind and are going to lose. There are definitely games where you want the second one, but I think for the most part, my deck, you know, my version, whatever you want to call it is, is pretty good at going over the top of people to the point where mm. you don't actually need to draw multiple casualties to beat them. It's like you use the first one and just like slow them down. And then you start really going over the top of them with fires. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It seems like a fine approach. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, part of it is fires is sweet. Part of it is fires is very good with trailer crumbs. And 
Part of it is I'm looking for a way to actually get an edge in the food mirrors. And even after mm-hmm. like playing the games, it's like, okay, I'm pretty sure I can navigate this and like be pretty successful. But fires was just easy mode. And I, I don't think like win more is a good reason to like play a card, but it wasn't win more. It was just like, well, these games are close and now it's just not, you know? Right. Right. So I, I think I could navigate and get tiny edges here and there, but this just makes it so it's very easy and you just start ahead instead of like maybe being at a deficit. All right. I do love things being easy. I have to tell you, it's one of my favorite ways to play magic. Yeah. And then obviously against flash, it's just heinous, right? It's like one of your worst cards because they're just going to counter anything relevant that you do basically. And you, you just want density and to some extent, like you want a lot of your cards to be very cheap and you want removal so that they can't ever get traction with like an ambush or a Nissa or whatever. And fires just doesn't help with any of that. I, I tend to take out like fires, casualties and, Corvold against them and just become this this much leaner deck and that plan yep. has worked very well and I think if you're playing something like your version you have four casualties you have a massacre girl you have a bunch of these clunky elements already you're gonna have effectively the same plan as me like post board we're gonna be doing the same thing against them I think right yeah we end up in very similar places for sure so I don't know I think it's like win 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 you know across the board to have fires in your deck but Obviously, it takes some some very specific stuff. You just can't jam it into any old deck. You have to like you know change things around it a little bit. But yeah, we'll see. Right, Contem- contemplate the card. Sure. Uh, I wish I had more time to experiment with it. I unfortunately I'm spending most of my time in a mucinex induced haze right now, <laughs> and I don't feel like I am doing effective testing at this point. So mostly passed on it. Did you consider anything else? Were there any other decks you were high on and like actively wanting to play for this tournament? So I still have the same problem with Rakdos Knights, where it's like if you have Regisaur and Embercleave, your deck is great, and then the Grizzly Bear Beatdown plan is not very good. So like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I would like to play that deck in theory. I just don't think it does anything. And then Adventures, I like in theory, you know, played it in a PTQ, went pretty deep, played it online, got to fairly high mythic a couple months ago, but it's it's so low power level, you know? Yeah, that's been my experience as well. You, You can win a bunch, all your games are tight better make the perfect decision on every turn or something's going to spiral out of control very quickly. The other deck we have to talk about for sure is Flash. I mean, I, I think there's really only two contenders to the best deck thrown. That would be Flash and Jund. Some people would put Fires in that list. I would not. I think it's a, a tiers below those two decks. I think it's fine. I think it really does a great job of beating up all the other decks in the format. But when it comes to the top tier, I do think you can effectively plan against it for Jund. And I just think Simic is favored straight up. Why no interest in Simic Flash? What about Simic Ramp too? I guess that's a deck we should mention. I am very low on that deck right now. I kind of am too. I mean, shout out to Bloody for winning the PTQ with Simic Ramp. That definitely kind of like reinvigorated my interest in the archetype because it's it sounded like she just kind of crushed the tournament. But yeah, it's it's just like slow and clunky and it has the problem that we're talking about where you're just like, I have five mana. I'm going to play a Cavalier of Thorns. You know, like you're just stuck doing your one thing per turn. Simic Flash, I think, is very, very good and Me too. is is a deck that I would definitely consider playing. I think I would change some stuff around, but part of the problem, I think, is that like for the MC and even for ladder play to some degree, you can play Flash and know that you're going to play against like the top tier of the metagame. And I don't know that that's certain in a Grand Prix. Sure. That's a very fair point. I also, just on my end, I feel like I know enough to shape Jund to consider the matchups I want to consider. I don't know enough about Flash at this point to appropriately tweak things in that deck. And I would just basically be flying blind with the sideboard guide, and I'd rather trust myself a little bit more and just allow myself to tweak my deck that I'm familiar with instead. But I think Flash is a absolutely 100% correct choice for this tournament. Yeah, I do too. I mean... It, it is definitely very good. And if you play against the top tier, you're, you have a good chance. One of the reasons I was considering playing some Rakdos deck was that Gutter Bones plus a bunch of removal like Murderous Riders, Noxious Grasp out of the board against Flash just smushes them. And 
You can kind of say the same thing about Jeskai Fires, except for the fact that they have Clarion. And I was, I was kind of under the impression that people were going to like move away from Clarion based on how things were, but it just seems like people are just still playing four, even though it's not very good against anything. Uh, so that makes things worse for Rakdos. And then the Jundex, as they kind of get more and more inbred uh, with casualties and stuff like that, it's, it opens the door for Beatdown to be good against them. But it's it's too hard to pull that trigger for just a GP. Right there with you. Uh, so yeah, basically two decks. I think it's, it's Jund and Flash, and that's it. So that's going to wrap us up for this episode. Like I said, maybe a little bit on the shorter side because of Brian's illness and everything, but... If y'all are at GP Portland this weekend, definitely come say hi to me. Maybe not Brian. He might still be being a plague bearer, but hopefully he's better by then. Yeah, don't, don't shake my hand. You can you can come wave fist, at me. Fist that's bumps, fine. dude. I will wave fist back, bumps. But prob- I don't think I don't even think that's a good idea. To be honest with you, I'll, I'll probably wear a mask. Quite frankly, I don't want anyone to feel like I presently feel. So we can wave at each other. That's totally fine. You're already incognito, dude. The mask is just going to, I mean, maybe it makes you more identifiable once they know, but whatever. Quite possibly. Yeah. All right. So each week on the podcast, we solicit the fine folks in our discord for their burning questions. Pick one to answer on the cast that we uh, arbitrarily select. And that person gets an arena decklist enamel pin, basically the only place you can get that. And uh, the question we like, comes from uh, Sam P or Samp. I'm not sure which. Whatever it is, open my gift in Pogo, you jerk. Uh, and they ask, what is or are your favorite cards from 2019? Brian, do you have a good answer for this? I think I have a great answer for this. And it's one that I hope other people enjoyed quite a bit as well. It's Dreadhorde Arcanist, which isn't, isn't all that good right now. It's kind of faded out of the limelight. Uh, there was a moment where it was excellent in Legacy. I won my first piece of power ever playing with Dreadhorde Arcanist in my Delver deck. Uh, so I have a nice little result tied to it. I also enjoyed playing the Feather decks in Standard for quite some time. It was a really nice combination of powerful and interesting and not too powerful at the same time. And it often presented cool puzzles to solve. There was a bunch of somewhat degenerate stuff you could get up to from time to time where you pump the power of Arcanist. And I spent a lot of time building interesting decks around it and also having some success with it. So that's the card that really stands out for me in 2019. No, that's a cool answer. One thing I will note about that card is I don't like how badly it snowballs. In the legacy context, that's super strong. And I, I, I agree with you there. It certainly closes the door very hard. In standard, it was a little bit more even. But it's also got very easy counterplay in those formats where there's like one mana removal, all one mana removal yes. essentially tags it. So it's it's nice to have things that snowball also be really easily answered as opposed to, say, a three mana Planeswalker that has an unbelievable amount of loyalty and just changes the game forever as soon as it's played. Fair enough. So my favorite card from 2019, clearly Oko. No, I, I actually I I do like Oko a lot because it's powerful, but I will definitely not say that that's my favorite card. Uh, my favorite card might actually be Force of Negation, which I think oh, okay. did a lot of cool things for both modern and legacy. And we haven't even really seen like the full scope of the impact that it has had. And granted this year was, uh, it was kind of tumultuous times, you know, like a lot of upheavals at various points and everything, but force of negation was mostly a constant in, in both of those formats. And I think that will continue going forward, but outside of like, you know, clear busted, like this is awesome card. I think my favorite card is just magmatic and cool. Okay. I like both these answers a lot. I think Force Negation is a excellent example of the Force effect done very well. It has just the perfect amount of restrictions on it. I even like the hard cast. Same. Cost, like three mana feels about perfect. It's certainly extremely, extremely powerful in all the formats it's played in, but it doesn't feel unfair ever. It feels just like a valuable part of magic. So that's a good call. As far as Sinkhole, it's an interesting one. Very little play thus far. I mean... Obviously, there was the Jeskai Mentor decks in Legacy that banked on Sinkhole pretty hard. Hasn't really done 
anything in modern that I can think of, right? Has it even made a token appearance? I guess yeah, back course. in the Phoenix time. Yeah, it was so being played, it got right? played in Phoenix. Okay. The normal versions of Valakut are generally playing it as an answer to Death Shadow. And like sometimes you see them playing it over Lightning Bolt too. So. Okay. I, I basically just like the fact that there is a Delve card that does fair things. And especially in 2019, like five damage to a planeswalker is something that we kind of needed with Narset and Teferi and to a lesser extent, Oko, because that thing has 30 loyalty. But I think it, it just, it did good work and it did it in a color that didn't have that sort of ability really. And it comes for like a, a fairly low opportunity cost. Like you can't play a bunch of them necessarily, but as like the top end to your removal suite, I think it's very, very good in a lot of instances. Obviously, if you have other things that are using the graveyard, like maybe you don't want to put it in your deck. Maybe there are decks where you can play two or whatever, but it adds this interesting deck building decision. And it's, it gets played in like such low numbers too, where it's like people never really play around it. Right. It's like, Oh, I'm going to play my Narset and sit on it against Phoenix because they have four bolts and then you get hit with the sinkhole. I think it just makes the games that much more interesting. Like it, it's just all positives across the board. Yeah. I like how you chose two examples of really powerful answers. Like those are answers done right. They don't warp the format around their existence, but they're extremely, extremely powerful. And they give the decks playing them like a unique angle with which to interact with the other decks. And if you were to leave it up to me, I would certainly be assigning more points in answers than in threats these days. I think things have gone very far in the other direction. And then just like cantrip problems on top of that. But yeah, I think you picked two really nice cards that had a very positive impact on Magic in this year. Yeah, and one of the decks I was looking at for Modern is like blue-red, kind of blue-moony, you know, and it's like Magmatic Sinkhole is just sort of a, a staple in, in that sort of deck. So it's one of the reasons I thought about it. It's, it, it's always on my mind, and it's like, oh, this is a, a really good card to have access to, even though it doesn't show up a ton, you know? Yeah. Yeah, big fan. No, great point. And uh, I'm I'm not going to make you sign us out because that would thank just, you. That would just be torture. It would kill me. Yeah, go it get, would actually kill me. Go get some water, some rest, some Mucinex. I don't know what you need, man. But that is game. Good luck.